What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Monday, May 30th, 2022. It is Memorial Day. We try to remember not to say Happy Memorial Day because of how what it means for so if there is some quiet time during your day just take a minute and uh remember why everybody is off work if you're not off work remember what holiday it is and uh just take uh, a second to be thankful for what is around you and the reasons that you are where you are in your life i think that's one of the more interesting things with i guess modern day holidays they've been a little bit more commercialized and you yes. like you said your first thought is it's a, a either a day off or just a, a day off of school day off of work or if you are working like you said it's just it's a little bit of a different feel but I think a lot of times we do forget why we actually are celebrating that holiday and this is a big one and it's a very big remembrance holiday like you said so completely agree take a little bit of uh, time out of your day and remember what the holiday is all about. Uh, well put, Phil. Well put. So remember, you can follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Uh, we are very active on all three of those platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to uh, podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com. And if you want to skip around in the show and just listen to certain segments, we have the time breakdowns there so you don't have to skip around blindly. So, Phil, there is no bandits action because they swept the Toronto rock i'm gonna say that as often as possible because uh it's just a joyous event that happened but the western conference finals wrapped up saturday night i don't know i believe you were at a concert so you did not watch it live but i did colorado finished off the san diego seals 15 to 13 they were actually down nine to five at half before a seven goal fourth period led them to that 15 to 13 win eli mclaughlin went off we said that he was third in points in the playoffs right now behind Dane Smith and Josh Byrne and uh he had five goals seven assists for 12 points on 13 shots and was just insane he not single-handedly but with help from his other fingers on his other hand uh led Colorado Mammoth to this victory and put them into the finals for the first time since the uh 2006 where it's going to be a rematch between Colorado and Buffalo and hopefully Buffalo uh wins this rematch Zed Williams two goals three assists five points Gibson two two and four Robinson three five and eight Hope who we did mention to keep an eye on 11 loose balls two cause turnovers and Ward made 42 saves yeah it was just Incredible to see the highlights of this game. I know the full game highlights are not out on NLL's YouTube channel yet. I'm not sure with only one game this weekend why it's taking so long. Sometimes they get them out just immediately, and sometimes they're kind of just buried in their like Twitter feed or Instagram. It's not really up on their YouTube channel as one collective group of highlights, which would be nice. But in general, from what I did see, it seemed like a lot of Colorado's ways of scoring were very similar to how the Bandits kind of beat Toronto in that 18 to 17 game where they just had highlight reel after highlight reel after highlight reel of just insane styles of goals and Colorado was doing very similar things in order to get all of their goals and it was just a very exciting game very incredible game like you said down nine five at half and just eh, Colorado they they scare me a little bit they scare me yeah, 100%. I mean, Eli McLaughlin now has 17 goals, 16 assists for 33 points in the playoffs. He has definitely stepped up in Ryan Lee's absence. Connor Robinson's right behind him, though, at 12-11 for 23. It's it's a team that has been quiet most of the year. Like, you wouldn't think, hey, Colorado is, like, in contention for the finals. But I know when I was interview- interviewing Teddy Jenner, he said that pretty much 
the winner out of the Colorado Calgary series, he envisioned making it to the finals. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. Colorado stormed back from, I mean, losing your top goal scorer and your top point producer in the regular season in game one and not having him for the rest of the playoffs and still being able to make the finals and doing what they're doing. Like you said, it's, it's a little nerve wracking to see what they were able to do and the comeback they were able to have in game three, but it's uh it's official. We got our uh, finals matchup. It took uh, an extra week. And like we said, it, it, it was definitely a grind in that one. So Colorado, you can either look at it. Colorado's coming in fresh off another victory. You know, they're, they're rearing ready to go. They didn't have to have an off week where they got to get back going, but that's also another game. That's another 60 minutes of grinding action of must win minutes. And that could take a toll on them because they have one more game that they've played than the Buffalo Bandits right now. Especially being down nine five at half, that second half must have been very intense for them. And at the same time, they're going West Coast to East Coast. So a few small advantages for sure for the Bandits. The biggest thing I think that scares me about Colorado is the fact that they won both of their games in the series away. So that is a little bit concerning as far as that home crowd goes for the Bandits. I just don't think Colorado is going to be overly phased. Uh, I think San Diego isn't quite the crowd that the Bandits are. Obviously, the Bandits have arguably the best home home arena in the entire NLL. So I think it's going to be a little bit different. I think the bigger thing for the Bandits is going to be feeding off that home crowd for themselves. But I don't know if Colorado will be overly phased by playing two games away because they won both of their games in San Diego, and they only lost by one in that overtime game. Obviously, it was in the overtime. So for Colorado to be able to hang with San Diego that entire time against a very good San Diego team and then take two of those games, they're definitely coming in. Like you said, you were a little bit worried about Colorado being the one to escape that series because they are one of the hottest teams coming into playoffs and now obviously through playoffs, even without Lee. So they're definitely on a mission, and they are coming in with a lot of momentum coming out of that West Conference. So game one is going to be this Saturday, June 4th at 7.30 in Banditland. Game two, which will for sure happen Saturday, June 11th at 9 o'clock. So you can watch that one on ESPN+. Uh, Plus. That's what I'll be doing. And then game three, if needed, if it is needed, it will be back in Banditland Saturday, June 18th at 7.30. All those times and dates are finalized now. Everybody was kind of assuming it was going to be a Saturday, Saturday, Saturday kind of thing, but just availability with the arenas was the big thing. But Phil, I guess, what are your early thoughts? And I know we gave a little bit of them. What are your early thoughts on the Colorado versus Buffalo matchup? The the big thing, I think, to kind of take away from the Western Conference Final is the fact that San Diego is not the Bandits, and I think the Bandits in pretty much every category are better of a team than San Diego, so I don't think Colorado has seen an offense like the Bandits have. I don't think they've seen a defense like the Bandits have, and even though Shiliano is a pretty good goalie, I'm definitely not saying he's a bad goalie, he's one of the top goalies in the league, he's no Matt Vince, so... Overall, I think the Bandits are still going to be the favored team here. I think they should be. They still are the team that just, again, has an incredible amount of talent. I do think Toronto was still the number two team in the NLL. So we'll see how quickly, like you said, they got that week off. I think it was great for them to get rest, especially for some of their older guys. And just in general, I know they had some injuries going into that Toronto series. So it's really good to see them get some rest and kind of just, you know, sit back for a little bit. Obviously, they're still going to be practicing, but... I think the big thing with this one is going to be that game one, like we said last time, you have to win game one. It's pretty much all about game one. And even in this Colorado series, Colorado won game one, lost game two, but then ended up taking the series. Bandits obviously took back-to-back games. So game one is crucial. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how quickly they can just kind of 
get that momentum going on their side? How quickly can they get that first goal in and really get the crowd going and get themselves going and just kind of find their groove after a week off? Yeah, the putting it the the winning game one, you think back to the stat we said before the Toronto Rock series from uh Dave Buchanan, the the sideline reporter for the Buffalo Bandits, who we put out eleven of the fifteen games where the team has won game one, they've advanced to the next round of the playoffs and they've won that series. It is now thirteen of the last seventeen. So you you definitely want to win game one, especially at home. You don't want to be going down one nothing, going across the country to Colorado, playing in the elevation for a must-win game to try to send it back to Banditland. Yes, personally, I would love to see them win game one, lose game two, and come back and win game three. That's a little bit risky. I'll take the two nothing victory and you know win it away from home, but being able to win it in Banditland would be awesome. But definitely. Game one, I know I'm a little bit ahead of myself. Got to take care of game one before game two and three. But game one is a must-win game. You can get to Dylan Ward. His statistics in the playoffs right now are not great. He is allowing 11.88 goals against and only a 7.62 save percentage. In comparison, yes, he's played one more game than Matt Vince. But Matt Vince is at a 10.33 goals against and an 8.05 save percentage. So right there, advantage Buffalo Bandits and advantage Matt Vince. I mean, of course, Matt Vince is the best goalie in the world, but it's like you pointed out, and it got me thinking over the weekend on the last show, Dylan Ward plays a, a out-of-his-crease kind of uh, like goaltending style where this might come in handy to the close-in goals that Buffalo has been known to score over and over and over, those athletic freak goals right in front of the goalie. If they can capitalize on that and kind of, push the box closer and closer or push the the play closer and closer into Dylan Ward and you know get him uncomfortable play change his play style I think they got a great chance of coming out of game one victorious and looking on to game two I think again the biggest thing that's going to be for this one is just if you look at the offense versus offense I just don't think Colorado has the Defense and goaltending, again, Ward was another guy who was up there in the league for best goalies, but you said he's struggling a little bit in the playoffs, and I just, obviously, the Bandits had the best offense in the entire NLL, so you just know Ward has not seen an offense like this, as Colorado defense has not seen an offense like this, so if you're just looking at, you know, just offense versus offense, I think the Bandits' offensive firepower is just so overloaded that we could see a pretty high-scoring first game, and we'll see how well the Bandits can do, kind of really focusing on McLaughlin, but obviously we'll get into a little bit deeper breakdown later in the week. Yeah, 100%. That's what I was going to definitely say right there is I think you put uh, Priolo right on Eli there and just say, hey, he's not going to get the points. You're going to have to flow your offense through somebody else. I think if you do what the Buffalo Bandits did to Joe Resiteris in that Albany game, and you saw how Albany kind of fell apart on their offensive end when their playmaker was not getting going, if you can shut down the guy who stepped in for Ryan Lee, I think you can shut down that offense and at least limit them. I mean, they, they got good, some good scores with Connor Robinson, Zed Williams, Tyson Gibson's coming on late, Chris Wardell, but... If you can shut down Eli, who has been on a tear right now, I mean, he's got 10 points more than anybody else. And yes, he's played one extra game than Josh Byrne and Dane Smith, but it's 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 going to be a very fun final. I think it's going to be very physical and it's going to be, if you want poster board material, you got it. <laughs> the last time these guys faced in the finals, Colorado won. The last time these guys faced just in general, Colorado won. So if you want anything to hang up on your bulletin board for uh, motivation, there it is. 
And uh, hopefully as a GM, Steve Dietrich can get me a little bit of uh, redemption this this time around. I, I don't around. know. I, he might still be mad because you didn't take him in the, uh, <laughs> the BSC draft there. Well, good. Use that anger, funnel it, and get a championship this time. There's more bulletin board material, right? <laughs> <laughs> but we do have uh, – we, we're going to be uh, doing an all-bandit show for our Friday show, so we will be pushing all the Bisons action, any Sabres, any Bills action to the following Monday show. But we're dedicating just Buffalo Bandits action, Buffalo Bandits preview for our Friday show. So stay tuned, be ready for that one, and uh, we're going to go very in-depth for our finals because uh, you know what happens when you uh, get covered on the BSC? You win, Phil. You win. It's been proven time and time again when you're covered on the Buffalo uh, the, the Buffalo Sports Collective. You uh, You win gold and uh the chaos will tell you the bisons will tell you the savers did as much as they possibly could and then sean mcdermott kind of screwed us over there but uh we we produce winners but and the 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 amerks will also tell you again they, the did, they didn't too, win yes. it all but they won their first series in you know since 2004 so we're, yeah. we're gonna like we said that, we can only do that's so much yeah we can push them so far but uh yeah we will cover them and our entire preview for the series on our next show but we move on to the buffalo bisons phil uh as spring does again another rain out on thursday but that was made up on saturday as a double header so we'll dive into that in a second friday they won five to three in a game where the bisons only had two hits and somehow put up five and won the game in the sixth is when things got interesting. Collins hit a grand slam to give the Bisons the 4-0 lead. Then the Clippers, in their half of the inning, hit a two-run homer, followed by a solo shot to cut the lead to one. Warmoth in the ninth hit a solo shot to give the Bisons some insurance. Castillo continued his shutout streak to begin his AAA career, going four and two-thirds of an inning, allowing just one hit with five strikeouts. Sparker, Came in and was the one that gave up the only runs in the game. Francis picked up the win in his two shutout innings, and Holland picked up save number one. But besides those two home runs, Phil, no other hits came. The only runs that came across the board were the home runs scored. And it was just, it it was a very odd game, but it was a very fun one to keep track of. It's not quite as impressive as winning a game when you have a no-hitter thrown against you, like one of the teams in the... Major League Baseball did recently, but at the same Pirates time, in Cincinnati, I think, yeah. At the same time, having a two-hit game to win is still very impressive, and even more impressive, like you said, having those two hits equal five runs. I think that's the more impressive thing about it. You can have a two-hitter and get two solo shots, or one solo shot and a random hit, and just win one nothing. But to see a score of five three and then look at the box score and see only two hits, very impressive. Good job by Collins hitting that grand slam to essentially lead the Bisons to victory. Castillo, I mean, that is just an impressive career or impressive start to a career as you can possibly get. I mean, he has just come on extremely strong. Excellent pickup by you in the BSC, but really great to see from a young player. Could be this year's Manoa. I don't know if he will be called up this year or anytime soon because obviously he just made it to AAA, so it's still way too early to be thinking about a call-up for him. But just an absolute great start for him to his AAA career. And then Francis, it's a huge bounce back for him, especially in that relief position. Again, it was a little strange to see him in that twice. I have to imagine with him on the 40-man roster that the Blue Jays are just trying to get him in relief appearances to see if he can be a little bit of that bullpen guy for them possibly in the future. But great to see him get two shutout hitless innings, a huge rebound from his last awful time in relief appearance. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think he definitely needed that one to come out there and throw two shutout 
innings of no hit ball. And I mean, his ERA is definitely too high. It's 7.79 right now, but him for a pitcher, and I've never been a pitcher. I've only been the infielder, but I feel like when you're in that stretch of just bad inning after bad inning after bad inning, bad outing after bad outing, you need something like this to get yourself going. And if you can, if he can take that and generate it and prove that, hey, I I can be a starter again in the AAA level and develop my 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 skills more as a starter. But yes, I can still go down and be a relief pitcher up and in, in, in with the Blue Blue Jays organization if I need to. I'm hoping that that's the route they go. That he, if he gets a few more relief outings like this, they push him back to being a starter again because he was he was great last year when they acquired him. But yes, hundred percent, it's a it's a nice nice thing from Francis to get those two shutout innings. And what is also nice, Phil, is Saturday, game one of the doubleheader. They won that one 4-2, a fourth-inning Lopez single. Drove in two to give the Bisons the 2-0 lead. Then they would score two more in the fifth inning on a Taylor walk that sent Capra home and then a Lopez walk that sent Marino home. This series was all about the Clippers walking guys and putting the Buffalo Bisons in position to score runs. Now, Hatch... Would give up two in the bottom of the fifth before exiting after five and two-thirds of an inning, allowing just two, those two runs on seven hits and seven strikeouts. Gage would pick up save number seven. This is back-to-back games, Phil, where the Bisons were out-hit but still won the game. Really great to see in this one that Capra is back on the team, and not only back on the team but already producing once again for AAA. I mean, we've seen... Again, a lot of call-ups, a lot of send-downs. Sometimes it takes a little bit after that send-down or call-up to kind of get going, but great to see him already producing. And even though it was just, a, you know, like you said, a walk, but really great to see him even get on the score sheet as a run-in. And again, just another very, very strange game. I think for Hatch, the big thing is the only allowing two runs. That's a few quality starts now he's had in a row. He's really starting to turn it around and, you know, pick up some momentum himself and get into a little bit of a groove. I think the seven hits are a little high, but when you back that up with seven strikeouts, I mean, obviously that literally balances out. I think I'd like to see the hits a little bit lower, but seven strikeouts and only two runs and almost six innings. Very impressive start by him and great to see the team winning. I mean, this is a huge series, like we mentioned, going into this series that it was you're playing one of the best teams in baseball and it was going to be a very difficult one and they are finding ways to win. Like you said, not not exactly ideal being out hit in back-to-back games, but the victory is what really counts in the grand scheme of things, so we will take what we can get. Yeah, uh, speaking on Hatch, this is three quality outings right in a row. I mean, May 5th against Lehigh Valley, he went five innings, allowing just two earned runs. The last start versus Syracuse, it was a nice one, the no-hitter going into the six innings, which I'm still shocked they pulled him. And then this one here where they only gave up two earned runs. So he has been able to lower his his ERA from a 7.61 to a 5.36 where it stands right now. But the only other thing I want to talk about with this one those one to four hitters right now with Lucas, Capra, Marino, and Grossens, that's just deadly. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in Sunday's game, but having those three guys at the top of your order, and then you can have a Taylor, a Warmoth, a Lopez down in your your five to nine range, this lineup is just terrifying. And I know we were we were talking about it when hey when when Taylor comes around when Lopez gets healthy when Grossans gets healthy, it's it's going to be a very scary lineup and how do you fit all these guys in? They're figuring out a way to get all these guys in the lineup and all of them are producing, which is just crazy to me and uh, it, it's fun to watch. Yeah, I, I'm pretty shocked that they are still finding ways to get all of these like you said high class players and just players that 
we continually said kind of throughout the beginning of the season that once all these guys are healthy or once these guys are just all on the same team in the same lineup and even Groshin's being called up, you know, he wasn't called up originally, so he's just a new body here. So there's a lot of opportunity to be kind of benched and not because they're playing bad, but because there's simply no room on the team. But to see them finding ways to get all of them included is just really great for the team. Like you said, a very scary lineup to have to face. So what was not scary was game two because they did lose this one, their first one in the series versus the Clippers, four to three. Bisons were down three nothing entering the top of the sixth. That is when Taylor singled to score Capra. Lopez hit a sack fly to score large and Smith singled in to score Taylor. Now in the bottom of the seventh, the Clippers scored the game winner on a deflected line drive. Just a little bit unlucky there trying to make a play and just didn't come up clean with a catch. Capper went two for four. Taylor went two for three with an RBI and Phil, it was an all bullpen game, which I'm going to talk about in a second, but it's, it goes back to why or not, why do you have your starters pitching in relief roles? Unless it's coming from the top down where the Blue Jays are saying, like you've been saying, get these guys some relief appearances so we can know if they're able to do that in the big leagues, if we need to pull them up. But for me, why do you want to do that when you already have so many relief pitchers on your 40 man roster that you can call up, get these guys the starts that need it. And I, Anderson had been performing well until you put him in the bullpen. I that's, that's the one thing that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you go full bullpen game, try to blow some of these arms up? So if you need to go extras on Sunday, you just don't have the, the arms for it. Yeah. It's, it's a strange strategy. And I, like you said, I, I just don't see with, how much we, you know, kind of know about Candell and just how great of a manager he is. I can't imagine him just doing this for fun kind of idea. I mean, I feel like it's got to be something coming from Toronto. I mean, and it it might not be. It might simply be just a different kind of strategy they're going with. I mean, maybe they want to keep some of these starters on lower innings earlier in the season to maybe, you know, have them go a little bit longer into the summer where they can then switch them back to starters and maybe they're just trying to, you know, save some of this arm strength, save some of these arms. I mean, maybe they just, again, know more than we do about even injuries or just maybe that guy was a little tired that day. So you don't want him to pitch a full day. I mean, who knows, but it does seem very strange that they are not allowing these seeming starters to really start a game, go five or six, and then let your bullpen take it from there that instead they're putting them in relief positions and it's not doing awful but I mean it, it did it did earlier when they had two back-to-back bad relief appearances by starters but it's a very weird strategy and something we will have to keep an eye on to see if it keeps going but Capra and Taylor are just again to have Capra just come back down and just immediately produce I think is just very impressive for the player himself and then Taylor is really starting to catch on I know he was Struggling a little bit early on, his stolen bases were there, but his average just was not catching up, and he's already back up to a 278 average, and I would say that's an extremely good average. Obviously, anything 300-plus is just very, very good, but I think 278 is, I would say, high average. I mean, I don't know about, I'm trying to think of like an average player. I feel like an average of average players is probably closer to 250, so i definitely say he's hitting above average, and with the ability that he has with the speed on the bases as well with 19 stolen bases, he is definitely really coming into his own as just a triple-A player and quite a weapon for the Bisons. Yeah, when uh, he was up in the triple-A level, and I was like, oh man, I really hope the he sticks around with triple-A and doesn't get sent back to double-A just because of Lopez and Grossens coming back. And he has definitely proved he's he's more than worthy of staying in triple-A. But the only other thing I wanted to mention, Lopez, third error 
since coming back. Him and Grossens, I think those are the big things that they have to fix in their games. And duh, it's obvious you don't want to commit errors. But to be able to go up to the big leagues and prove that, hey, if if you need a spot start, I got you. If you need a depth roll guy, I got you. But you can't be responsible for those kind of errors. They need to fix that part of their game where if if they get the call up, they're not committing those errors and getting sent right back down. Once you get called up, you want to try to solidify yourself up there. So fixing the the errors in the game so those don't pop up as much, I think that's a big thing. And I I mean, speaking from a guy who's just behind a computer screen and a mic right now, it's 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 kind of obvious, but I, I think I'm I'm assuming they're going to be working on that nonstop. But it's it's definitely something that I think has got to be fixed because anytime I look at the box score recently, I've been seeing errors next to the name, and they've been able to get away with it because of how quality their pitchers are doing right now and how quality their hitters are doing. But eventually, in the dog days of summer, those are going to catch up to you. Yeah, especially like you said, if you want that kind of spot start role or that utility man role, they can't be expecting you to step into a game hit pretty well but then cause that you know what could be either game win game losing error by either getting that letting that guy get on base and letting the inning extend or you know that costly error with a guy on third and then you make the error and they score and that's the winning run it's just if you want to be someone who's going to be that just plug and play kind of guy who might not be a full-time starter but is going to get that spot start you just absolutely cannot have those kind of errors on your resume so Sunday, Phil, they go into this one in a uh, game. They're going to have played three games in 24 hours, which is just crazy to me thinking, hey, you're going to be th- playing three individual games within like one day period. But they went into this one. They had already won the series. They're just looking to pad the stats. They won this one seven to five. Bison's jumped out to a two nothing lead after three with a uh, Collins solo shot and a capper sack fly to take the lead. Bottom of the fifth saw the Clippers get one back before Grossens hit his first triple-A home run, a two-run shot to go up 4-1. to one. Clippers would get one more back on a solo shot. Then Bisons would have put up three in the seventh, which Clippers would match in their half of the seventh. Lawrence won his sixth of the year, going six-inning pitch, allowing two runs on six hits. It was a, uh, it was a fun-filled game. And uh, just to go back, that top four, the Lucas, Capra, Marino, and Grossens, they went six for 15 in this game. Three runs scored, four RBIs, and all of them are hitting over 300 on the year. Like I said, it's just a terrifying stretch where you got to see them at least three times in a game, probably four times, and you're not getting all of these guys out three to four times in a game. It's just not going to happen. They're too good of hitters, and they're just on fire right now. I think Lawrence, I mean, I just, I just don't know... I don't know what else we should say about him. I just see he's because uh, he's on my BS team, BSC team. He is. Prove you wrong. He is. He. Uh, a lot of players like to do that. I think to both of us, actually, we, we've seen it on both yes, sides. Hundred percent. That uh, I mean, Greg Bird proved you wrong immediately. So that was interesting. Olafson, Olafson, <laughs> yeah, he came back strong on your team. Yeah, 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 he did. But I mean, then you had Skinner come back strong on your team. So you know, a lot of a lot of proving wrong. So obviously. Even if they don't listen, they have their own PR guys listen for them and then let them know that you were dropped (laughs) to prove us wrong. So clearly Lawrence is just doing incredible things. Again, it's amazing to have that very consistent ace on your team. It is a very crucial role for any team to have that guy. You can play every, you know, four or five starts. You know what you're going to get out of him. You know you're likely to get a win out of that game. I think it's just very important. He is just continuing to roll on. And I think one of the... More interesting players, Collins, in his four games so far with the Bisons, he's only hitting 154, but obviously it's only four games, so it's a small stretch to really be digging into. But he does have five RBIs with those two home runs and that one pretty much game-winning Grand Slam. So, I mean, if you're going to get 
a couple hits. It might as well be home runs and, you know, game-winning grand slams. So he's a little bit of an interesting player. I mainly was bringing him up because I, I didn't really know too much about him or who he was. And I was like, oh, he's obviously brand new and only played a couple games. So he's one that's going to be interesting to kind of keep an eye on. But overall, like you said, that top four in the order is just insane. I know they do have some pretty solid hitters behind them. So I think what we're really seeing out of this Bison's team at this point is that they're really starting to hit their stride. I mean, the the starters are really settling in, like Hatch, who had a rough start, is finally settling in. So I think the, the defense is there, the pitching is there, and now the hitting is just really there. So this is definitely going to be one of the scarier teams in all of AAA once again. And it's really fun to see because we didn't really know what to expect out of this team this season with a lot of the call-ups and just kind of losing some of their bigger players in trades. So we weren't really expecting not a not a regression year but we just didn't know what these prospects and other players would look like and they are off to a really good start to the year yeah they won the series five to one they are just one game back of rochester who is finishing up their series as we are recording right now but regardless of that they are tied for the third best record in all of triple a baseball it's just insane what this team has been able to do after all the turnover they had and i know triple a there's a lot of turnover all the time but to be able to win the conference last year and then come back and yes, it's only the end of May right now. Again, Phil, it's it's insane that it's already the end of May, but the the fact that they were able to carry that momentum with all new players and continue it. And I think that's it's a credit to the leadership and that's credit to the managing style of Casey Candell to also bring in his entire staff back again this year. So I think the having all new players, but the system in place with the same coaches that have just proven, hey, we know how to do this down here. I I think that is definitely a thing that has gone under the radar and something that I don't think we have mentioned enough on the show. Do we think uh, Candell is already in the running for manager of the year again? Uh, down there? Yes, 100%. But Phil, we will give a BSC update here. I am up 24.22.4 to 21.10.68. I did extend it a little bit, and that's thanks to, uh, you know, uh, a few good pitching performances that I got. But in game 44, you got 15 points, and uh, I'm sorry, 16 points, and that's because Biggio did get called up. And then I got 11.5. Thank you, Castillo, and thank you, Warmouth. In game 45 you put up 18 points credit to hatch and his great outing i put up just four in game 46 you put up six points i put up just a half a point and that's because only warmoth played it's uh again one of those times where only one of my players played and uh i think i also had earlier this year i had none of my players play that game but game 47 you put up one and a half points i put up 17 and a half thanks again to war uh lawrence and grossens yeah, I feel like overall I, I should have extended given all those high scores I had and your your smaller scores, but you you really balanced it out in that last game. I did. I did. Lawrence and uh, Grossens, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. But Dang. Phil, is there any changes you would like to make to your team? <laughs> yeah, uh, for the meantime, in the meantime, I will pick up Capra again because yeah. he, uh, it was kind of, it was double-edged sword getting to kind of not have him on my team for a little bit there, see how he was going to fit back into the team. I assumed he would reassign and be, you know, a starter once again. But again, with the lineup they have, it was not guaranteed, I guess, that he would immediately come back. And not only that, come back, but immediately produce. So it was kind of fun to see, you know, what if I pick him back up, what I'm looking at. But it was also a little sad because he would have gotten me some some nice points with how well he's already been playing for AAA, but I will 100% put him back on my team. That's that's I already had it typed in before we even started the show, Phil. I I knew it was coming. Yeah, I know he's you're big uh, camper, yeah. he's real good. 
<laughs> he is. He is very, very good. But we will start with our preview of the next series. We're not going to go too in-depth with this one because they have already faced Rochester. But it's actually a series starting on Monday. They get a rare Tuesday off, and then they'll finish up Wednesday through Sunday. But Rochester currently, before uh, Sunday's game is concluded, they are 30-17. and 17. Again, one game above Buffalo in the standings. They have 247 runs scored compared to Buffalo's 232. And then they've given up 224 compared to Buffalo's 194. So it's... Uh, it's they're going from a team that was in second in the Western in the international league to the team that is right ahead of them in the East. So they're going back to back performances, both on the road. So, you know, two straight weeks on the road, but if they can play even, or just even take one extra game from Rochester here, you got an even split. And because Buffalo has that one game in hand, they could be a half a game up if they, if they take this uh, four to two. Yeah, this is a massive series. Again, it's very early on, but like we've said a few times now that even though the season is very long, you don't want to get to the end of the season and, you know, kind of lose yes, out by, by that one game or like you said, just chasing games. So even though it's early, again, <laughs> baseball is just such a mental grind with how many games they play that you have to stay focused every single game and you can't just kind of just take one off and be like, oh, this game doesn't matter. It's so early in the season because... When you finally get to that end of the year, you know, looking at the standings and everything and you you maybe miss out on something by one game, it can always trace back to early in the season when, you know, you had a big chance to win. You just didn't pull it off. So this is another massive series. And I think it would be great for the Bisons to kind of leapfrog over Rochester and try to take the uh, first place standings. So we'll just go over the prospects really quick here. There's only three of note in the top 30. Again, we use MLB.com to rank these. Cade Cavalier, right-handed uh, starting pitcher. He's 2-3 and three right now with a 5.58 ERA. Nine starts, allowing 18 walks in the 40.1 innings he's pitched so far. He's number two in their system. Number 18, Donovan Casey, outfielder. He's hitting just 200 with an OPS down at uh, 668 with four home runs, 16 RBIs. And then Lucius Fox, shortstop, second baseman, outfielder, kind of like your uh, your Otto Lopez here, number 22 in the system, hitting 289, but he's only had 45 RB, or at bats so far. He was up with the big leagues very briefly. And then just a couple statistics that I've, I've noted that were very interesting. Rochester has the a best league average in the International League right now, hitting 271, but Buffalo is right behind them in third at 255. Rochester is 17th in walks at 159. Buffalo is eighth at 18, uh, one, 189. There's all these numbers again, Phil. I'm going to botch all these. Rochester, number four in stolen bases at 52. Buffalo is number one at 70. So there's going to be a lot of speed on these base paths. So it's going to be very important to... Do not allow walks and to be, you know, very alert back there. But Marino has been proven that he's a great catcher back there and can uh, throw some guys out. Rochester is 10th in the league in ERA at 4.52. Buffalo is 4th at 3.92. They just got below 4.0 this series. I noticed they were above 4 going into the Clippers series. Rochester is 7th in allowing uh, walks at 196. Buffalo is all the way down at 17th at 158. So if... If you look at that, Rochester is susceptible to walking guys. So if you are patient at the plate and can get on base and steal those bases, it's going to give you a lot more runners in scoring position where you can bat them home, especially at the top half of your order. I know you just kind of mentioned that both teams have very good averages for hitting, but I wonder if this one, based on the last thing you mentioned about stolen bases and walks, if this is going to be a series that might kind of lend toward a little bit more of the small ball with some of these pitching 
duels also being very impressive by both of them. I mean, 10th in ERA for Rochester and I mean, Buffalo stats you just listed off are just absolutely incredible for Buffalo. So great for us. And uh, Rochester, like you said, is pretty close to them in a few of these. So I wonder if some of these games will be a little bit closer in score and then maybe, you know, include a little bit more small ball to get some of those runs if it's a four to three or five to four kind of game, especially with the amount of stolen bases that both teams are putting up. Yeah, it's it's like we said, it's going to be a very important series for the beginning of June. And again, there's so many games, but you got to you like we said, don't be chasing games later in the season. You want to try to win these ones now where my, some teams might say, hey, it's not that important right now. These games will be important down in the in, in the dog days of summer but we will cover the beginning of the series on or actually we'll cover the whole series on our next monday show because we're going to be talking nothing but buffalo bandits on our next show so we move on to our final segment phil the buffalo bills yes the buffalo bills in the end of may what are we doing well josh allen patrick mahomes v tom brady the lady and aaron Rodgers are facing off in the match on wednesday i don't know if you're going to be making time to watch that i'm going to be recording it and watching it later on but i'm very excited for not just the game but the smack talk between the four yeah i mean it's it's very interesting you basically have you know top of the afc and top of the nfc staring at each other for the whole time i know these guys you know, I'm sure for the most part, other than the smack talk between them, we'll put their football kind of pedigree aside for a little bit. Again, other than the smack talk, but I think it's just going to be four just kind of superstar athletes that don't really like each other having a lot of fun. It should be very interesting. I'm surprised, like you said, it's on a Wednesday instead of a little bit more yeah, prime time, like we had mentioned uh, a little while ago when this kind of first broke, but. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think there would definitely be some highlight moments kind of being passed around on Thursday. Yeah, I know all of them are very good golfers, but like I said, the the commentary between all four of these guys is going to be very fun. Yes, there's going to be, for all you Buffalo Bills fans out there, you know, don't be too sensitive, but there are going to be a lot of 13-second jokes thrown out there. It's it's 100% the first joke going to be made. It's going to be about 13 seconds. So don't get too rattled, especially if it comes from Tom Brady. But it's going to be fun because Josh Allen has been known to be a very good trash talker. So I'm very interested to see this. But, Phil, we will move on to the final, final segment here. It's our way too early predictions and bold predictions for the 2022 season for the Buffalo Bills. We picked three of them. And uh, I know we went over it very briefly ahead of this. Some of ours might be very similar without even knowing. Like, we didn't collude on this. We didn't talk about it beforehand. We were just like, okay, top three, go for it. Somehow you and I are synced so well right now doing this show that our minds are in different counties, different households, different cities, and we still come up with two of the three that are very, very similar. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I want to say that – they're obvious, but they're not. They're they're not even obvious. They're bold predictions. And again, we didn't talk about we haven't talked about the Bills in a little bit, even off the podcast, because yeah. there just hasn't been too much going on. It's I mean, you know, some stuff out of minicamp and whatnot that we've discussed, but nothing anywhere near this bold prediction. And then again, just as I was reading yours, I was like, okay, I guess we are going the same direction with some of these. But if you would like to kick it off with the one that we have as the exact same without discussing it, feel free. Yeah, I definitely thought I was going to be very bold on this one, and I guess it can still be bold, but I guess it's not bold enough where neither of us, <laughs> I mean, both of us thought of it. I have Greg Rousseau ends up with more sacks than Von Miller, and I know we went over this. You have it, Von Miller, or uh, Greg Rousseau ends up with the most sacks on the team. 
for my reasons, Greg Rousseau only had four sacks last year. Two came in game two. Von Miller had nine and a half and four in the playoffs. So it seems a little bit crazy. I know, but if you can kind of, I know receptions and sacks don't go hand in hand. When you lose a wide receiver, the receptions are up for grabs and the targets are up for grabs. So sacks are a little bit differently, but Addison and his sacks, seven sacks are gone. Obata, three and a half gone. Star, three gone. Hughes, two gone. Zimmer and Phillips both had one, both gone. Now I can see them doing a lot less rotation than they did last year because they have two proven guys in Rousseau and Miller. Now, who do you got behind him? AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham. I know those guys are great depth role guys, but I think if you pair Greg Rousseau with Javon Miller, it's going to be a much more solidified stance there with your defensive ends. I think you can see like a 65 to 75% uh, snap count between those two guys rather than like the 55 to 60% you saw last year. Now, remember, Rousseau is, I think you're going to be seeing an extra blocker move over to the Von Miller side just because of reputation alone, just how great he has been, and he has not lost a step whatsoever. That's going to leave Rousseau on a lot of one-on-one matchups right now, and him being a rookie last year. And remember, he didn't play in the 2020 season because he sat up for the COVID year. He is just, he's got, what, 18, 19 games under his belt right now. He is just getting into his prime now. Year two, I want to see that big jump from him. And I think not only will have having Von Miller on the opposite end of it open more opportunities, but the the off the field stuff, the the knowledgeable the knowledge that Von Miller is gonna be able to pass through Greg Rousseau, and we already saw the videos of him teaching him already. I think this is gonna be Greg Rousseau's huge, huge year right now, and he's gonna be proven why Buffalo took him 30th overall in uh 2021. I don't know uh, what else to add to that because that was very in-depth. And, uh, yeah, you had a lot of the points I had. Yeah, I mean, the the big ones I had were, again, Addison led the team with seven. Like you said, he's gone. I do think they will double up Miller quite a bit and just in general kind of keep – even if it's the running back, they'll kind of keep the running back shaded toward Miller's side to help block out over there or a tight end on Miller's side to help block over there, leaving Rousseau just to have – a little bit more freedom to do what he does best. And like you said, I also mentioned that uh, Miller was teaching him as well. So I think what Miller not only can bring on the field, it's bringing, like you said, in in practices. I think Rousseau is going to have a big sophomore leap this year, and I think Miller's going to be a huge part of it. I do see him having the the potential to lead the team in sex. And at the same time, Von Miller could have a massive year and just blow him out of the water. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I, I can see either happening. But Phil, since uh, our number twos are very similar, also, you want to kick off number two? Sure. I have James Cook essentially straight up versus Singletary, and I have James Cook having more all-purpose yards and touchdowns than Singletary this upcoming year. Last year, Singletary had 1,098 all-purpose yards, 870 rushing, 228 receiving, with eight combined touchdowns, and I think Cook will be much more of the wide receiver role, and Singletary will still be a little bit more of the running back role, but I do think with that kind of flip, I I mean, a lot of it to me is just the ability and versatility that Cook has. I think he has that home run hitting ability. I think the Bills will find ways to selectively get him involved in opportunities that give him a lot of open field to look at. And I could easily see him just putting up those 40, 50, 60 yard, you know, catch and goes either a screen pass or a dump off where everybody is, you know, taken off downfield. And he just has a lot of open field in front of him, makes one guy miss and then just kind of takes it to the house. I could just see him 
in a much more dynamic role than Singletary. I think Singletary will be a little bit more in the running back kind of reserved role, and I don't think Singletary will be used nearly as much in the passing game, obviously, with James Cook here. So I think that kind of cuts into Singletary's receiving either pretty much for the most part. I think they'll probably still use him a few times in the receiving just to kind of prove that he is a receiving threat when he is on the field. But I could easily see, maybe not easily, because he's still a rookie. He still has to find his way in this offense. But I could see Cook taking over even throughout the end of the year. If Cook has a very strong start, especially in the running game, I could see him kind of cutting into Singletary's playtime altogether. And I could see them finding just versatile ways to get Cook involved. So I do think that there's a possibility in his rookie year that he ends up with more yardage and touchdowns than Singletary. Yeah, the only difference I have here is I have him having more receiving yards than rushing yards, and I know that's not very bold, but I'll add in that I think he's going to be the second leading wide receiver receiver behind Stephon Diggs. Just my reasonings, Cook is an athletic freak. The guy's going to be playing everywhere. The Bills wanted McKissick. They wanted McKissick bad. I wanted McKissick bad. I think they're going to be able to take some pressure off of Josh Allen. Josh Allen's not going to have to be that, that, you know, do everything type of player. He's kind of eased off and you kind of saw that last year. His, his stats were not as great. I mean, they were great, but they were not as massive as they were in 2020. But I, I think you're the way you're going to be able to take some pressure off of Josh Allen is doing some of those design dump offs, some of those halfback screens, let your RBs do what Josh Allen used to do and having a James Cook type player, I think does just that. I mean, you can avoid having Josh Allen take hits if your offensive line might be struggling at the day. Just do some dump offs to James Cook who can take it to the house and, you know, Josh Allen gets all those <laughs> those yardage. But I definitely agree. James Cook is uh, he, he's a special player. I'm, I, I'm very happy they, they took him when they did and they didn't take Bryce Hall and Brees Hall in the first round. And, uh, I think the, I, I, th- I think we're both in the right direction of thinking how they're going to be using James Cook. I think one of the more interesting things just throughout the season is going to be the internal battle between Cook and Singletary to mainly see, I mean, are they going to stick with Singletary next year? I know we kind of talked about it on the last show. It all depends on Singletary's price and what his free agent price might look like. So if he really does, you know, kind of keep that price down, I can see them bringing him back without too much of a problem. But if Cook really does kind of just take over as he gets more game time in the NFL and maybe his rushing is more impressive than people are saying, not that they're saying he's not a great rusher, but again, obviously his pass ability and pass catching ability is really what everyone's kind of keeping an eye on. So if he can prove that he can rush at the NFL level, it'd be interesting to see if kind of down the stretch or in the second half of the season, if Cook really just takes over that running back one role and Singletary becomes the backup. Yeah, Phil, I, I know we went over this. So our last th- our last one is definitely different. Do you want to kick off your number three first? Sure, I can, I can do that. I have Kair Elam leading the team in interceptions this upcoming season. I think one of the big things with this, Poyer and Hyde each had five last season, which is just not easy for a rookie to get to. But I think White is going to be missing a few games to start the season. I just don't see them rushing him back. It doesn't seem like we've really gotten too, too much information on him as far as if he's going to be game ready. But if they do decide to kind of play it safe and give him the you know extra recovery time and he misses those four games on the IR early, I think that will not only allow Elam to just get more time playing time in general, but I think that will you know, kind of make him the CB1 currently on their roster. And if that's the case, I could see a lot of teams trying to pick on him and I could see him using it as a 
kind of proving ground for himself to really just kind of take off and prove why he was a first round draft pick, prove that he deserves to be in the NFL. I know last year we mentioned on the show a lot of times when other teams had rookie cornerbacks going up against players like Stefan Diggs and just seeing that, you know, a lot of teams like to go after that rookie. And if he is the CB1 on your team and a rookie, I could see him getting a lot of opportunities to kind of make those plays. And especially with the Bills defense that they have in the front of the defense, causing it seems like a lot of pressure toward the quarterback this year. I could see a lot of quarterbacks kind of aiming at Elam no matter what, because he will be on their star guy. But if they're under pressure, could make some bad throws and he could end up leading the team in interceptions in 2021 for his college career. He only had one interception, but at that point in his college career, a lot of teams were not really throwing at him too much because he was a true shutdown corner. So teams just really weren't, they were trying to go away from him as much as they could. So he didn't get too, too many opportunities. So I could see him trying to get picked on and hopefully kind of just taking that and running with it into his NFL career. I, I was good. I, every time you mentioned something, I was like, oh, what about this angle? You covered it. So I think you covered every <laughs> angle of it with the the additions of Von Miller and Greg Rousseau taking the next step. It's going to force quarterbacks to have to make decisions quicker, which would make bad decisions. They're going to be targeting Elam because he is a rookie. And the fact that if if your if your pass rushers are getting to the quarterback quicker, if your cornerbacks are better you're not going to have to rely on over-top coverage from Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde, so their interceptions might take a hit and drop down a bit, but that means your cornerbacks are going to be getting the the benefit of it. So I think you hit on everything, and I, I can actually see that happening. So uh, it's a good, bold prediction. Thank you. Thank you. A l- little bit different, a little bit different, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> So there is a reason I wanted you to go uh, first here because my number three, uh, I'm going to get everybody a little hyped. I got Josh Allen is going to be winning the MVP. Wait, there's more. Sean McDermott is going to win coach of the year. Wait, there's more. Brandon Bean's going to win GM of the year. Wait, there's more. Josh Allen is going to be Super Bowl MVP. So if you think about it, yes, the Buffalo Bills are going to be Super Bowl champions in February of 2023. The city is going to shut down for multiple days to celebrate, and somehow it's going to survive to see the rest of 2023. My reasoning, Phil, look at the team. They are ticked off about how the season ended last year. If not this year, when? This is their best opportunity to win the Super Bowl. They are the favorites around the league. So maybe it's not a super big, bold prediction, but that's why I threw all those extra awards in there. If you're not going to win here before Josh Allen's contract kicks in, the chances of you winning take a bit of a hit because Josh Allen's going to be making so much money. Yes, the cap is going to go up a bit more, but you've got to take advantage of those rookie contract deals. That's why uh, Las Vegas or uh, um, the Chargers are loading up. That's why Kansas City loaded up. That's why all these teams load up when you have a star quarterback in his rookie contract because you're saving so much money. So definitely, this is their best opportunity to win it right now, regardless of what their roster looks like next year. I think this is their best opportunity to win it, and I think they're going to do it. It's uh, it's hard to argue because I would love it. So I'm, I'm not even I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to argue with it. I think McDermott has been very, very good. And I think he still needs to take that next step, even as a head coach. Yes. I, I think he's yes. a, a very solid head coach, but I don't think he is an elite head coach yet. And I do think it would be great to see. I mean, it's very rare that we talk about, you know, we talk about these players in their third, fourth, fifth year taking that next leap. Can they take that next you know jump? But we really don't I haven't talked too much about coaches taking that next leap and I think that he needs to take that next step up and again we've seen him have some questionable calls questionable challenges you know going for it on fourth not going on fourth and kicking field goals not kicking field goals taking touchdowns so 
there's definitely a few question marks around him at times. I think last year he was much better, but I think he is another one that if we could see him take another step forward, I think that would be great. And I'm very excited to see the way this offense is going to work under Ken Dorsey. I mean, it it should be a little bit different, probably, you know, not reinventing the wheel because the offense is already very elite, but with some of the additional weapons they have on both offense and defense and just everything this team is doing it, like you said, if not now, then, then when, I mean, this seems like the year for them and hopefully they can uh, make it all happen. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm very excited. I, I don't want to wish my summer away, but I'm very excited to have football kickoff, not just because, you know, I'm a big fantasy player. You're a big fantasy player. We, uh, that's like what twenty weeks of our life is just uh, <laughs> building up, and that's just in the season. That's not even counting what we build up to. And uh, but yes, I'm 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 very excited for the season. I I really firmly believe this is their best opportunity to win the Super Bowl, and I think this is the best chance they've probably ever had to win it, even dating back to the Super Bowl years. But Phil, I guess uh, with that, is there anything else you would like to add this show before we uh, kick off and get ready for our Bandits Only episode on Friday? I was going to say before the uh, Bills can win the Super Bowl, the Bandits need to win a championship. So we will get into that next episode. I'm just saying, if if the Bandits do pull this off and they win their championship, and then the Bills come February and win their championship... And then I, the Sabres I, just make playoffs. <laughs> Sabres make the playoffs, break the drought. Bison somehow do great in the playoffs again. How are we not going to be the number one podcast in the, in the world, in, at least in Buffalo? <laughs> I mean, if we're not, we definitely deserve it. At the very, I mean, at the very least, it's an award snub if we don't get it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I want my what do they call them? The potties. Uh, the potties? <laughs> I'm calling it now. If saying. that is not the podcast award <laughs> title, it's going to be called the potties from now on. You're going to have to uh, trademark that. <laughs> I'm good. I, 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 nobody else can take it. It's I verbal, don't know if that's the way it's it works. It's a verbal trademark. But, TM. Yeah, like. Verbal trademark. Yeah. <laughs> TM. There you go. Don't take it. But yeah, we, on our next show, we're going to be uh, just covering the Buffalo Bandits as they make their return to back-to-back finals appearances. They're going to be facing Colorado. So we have some surprises coming up on that show, so stick with us. It, Like we said, it's Bandits only. They definitely deserve it for the season they had, for the run in the playoffs they've had so far, and we want to give them our full attention on our Friday show before you know our following Monday show. We'll cover the Buffalo Bison series versus Rochester. We'll cover anything that happens with the Bills and the Sabres, but Buffalo Bandits definitely deserve the full, our full attention on the Friday show. So with that, Phil. And everyone else, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective in partnership with Revelry House. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com and subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Along with that, leave a review for us on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye